Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. And the best insurance plan ever, apparently. Yes, I uh, I definitely resisted the urge to look up expiration dates on pills. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure medications expire. Or get, like, super toxic and dangerous. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I didn't do that. Because... That way lies madness. We know. Uh, hi, folks. I'm Tim Harvey. And I'm Dustin. And this is Zompocalypse Now. And as you may have noticed, we've already started talking about the show. Because um, we didn't have any choice. How do you watch the episode we just watched and not immediately go, what, why? <laughs> How? Yeah, so the great, the big mystery of this week's episode uh, is where Carol gets her drugs. Oh, yeah. And uh, how they still I, work. I would honestly, I'd love, that's another great spin it. Spin, spin, blah, blah, blah. That is another great spinoff. That is the doctor with the working pharmacist in the zombie apocalypse traveling around giving people antipsychotics. Hey, it makes more sense than, I don't know, refining gasoline in a pit. Mm, no. So, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, this was an interesting episode. I, I, for, for the obvious, you know, questions of how Carol isn't poisoning herself as much as actually getting anything out of these drugs. Um, because, uh, except yeah. for, you know, she's totally poisoning herself. That's the point of the whole episode. Yeah, well, she's she's poisoning herself in a couple of ways, actually. Uh, some psychologically and some physically. Uh, but overall, there were some interesting things that happened here. And I actually enjoyed this episode. I, I don't know. Uh, it's always, it's it's gotten to the point where when really, really crazy ass bullshit happens. Mm-hmm. It takes me totally out. I'm just like, I can't. I can't be happy with what you're doing right now. Okay. Explain yourself, sir. Well, as soon as she pulled out the prescription bottle, like, this is the first thing that, like, the like the second thing that happens in the episode is Carol wakes up and opens her drawer and finds a prescription bottle and opens it up and, like, shakes it, or shakes it, and, like, oh, no, I've only got a couple pills left. Better go and refill my prescription. I was like, no. (laughs) Sorry. No. And, like, that was, I mean, I think that it's from hanging out with you. (laughs) So it's my fault is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So that was a really hard thing for me. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say in this moment? How is that possible? Well, it's it's as possible as gasoline still working all this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a certain amount of, of the Walking Dead universe simply ignoring 
how time works and how, you know, that things. Now, if it was like a bottle of milk, <laughs> right. It'd be one thing. Uh, but you know, there's the walking dead tends to rely to a certain degree on audience members, not thinking about things, mm-hmm. whether it's how maps work, the distance between places, uh, how time works in the course of a 24-hour period versus over years alone, gasoline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it bothered me, but it didn't bother me to the point where I didn't appreciate what they were trying to do with Carol because we've – they've put Carol through the ringer mm-hmm. in this I mean, show. This was another – this is a great example – of how they have done that to her. Yeah. And to some degree, it's worked. I mean, it's, it's actually made her a fascinating character. One that we, you know, really think is the backbone of this show. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's a bit of misery porn. Right. uh, Specifically for Carol, you know, designed for Carol. And they hit that a little hard. There were a couple moments tonight where it was just like, um, could you sledgehammer her, hammer a little more in the face? Right, uh, exactly. There were some. I mean, that moment where she picks up the book, and it's her and all the children that yeah. she has lost. It was like, oh gosh, why do we have to keep doing this? Why do we have to keep playing? It reminded me, like, why do we have to keep playing the same storyline out with her over and over and over again? At the same time, though, one of the things that makes Carol Carol. Uh, for good or for ill, depending on how you look at the writing, uh, is the fact that she weathers all of this Mm. and that she keeps going forward and that she has the kind of friendship that she has with Daryl and the kind of strength that she has shown over and over and over, um, which makes her an extremely dangerous opponent, which Alpha, um, I I think Alpha got a little taste of that, although it, not so much uh, that it, it made a difference, but I think that it's it's a it's a foreshadowing, really. Yeah. Well, okay, so I guess we should <laughs> I guess we should back up. Yeah, that's true. And, and start, you know, start at the very beginning. I hear it's a very good place to start. Uh, so. Um, a day dawns in, in the beautiful town of, uh, of Alexandria. Everybody's having a great time. Um, they, uh, they go to, uh, they're going about their business, they're doing their things, and then uh, they notice that there are some walkers approaching. And so they, you know, the fighters go and, you know, start taking care of those walkers. And then the next thing you know, more walkers are coming. And so they take care of those walkers. And then they notice more walkers are coming. And it's like this never-ending onslaught of walkers and walkers and walkers. And everybody is having to fight. And, you know, it's like, you know, there's no stopping and it's really hard to get a a hold on you know what's happening and you know slowly but surely everybody gets um 
you know, tired and more and more exhausted. And Well, I kind of gave this lead up early on where, you know, Judith asks Michonne if it's safe. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a, um, Judith, you've grown up in this world. You know the answer to that question. The answer is no, Judith. The answer is no. <laughs> but there's a really nice shot of Michonne climbing up in the windmill uh, where you've got the, just the rotating blades obscuring her view as she's looking through her binoculars at this just like endless stream of walkers. Um, it's a really, it's a, it's a fairly artistic uh, camera shot there. And I think that it, it, you know, when the walking dead doesn't always go in for, um, you know, really kind of uh, stylized camera work. Right. Um, but when they do, they actually have pulled up some interesting stuff off. And this is one of those shots. I mean, it was very effective. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's just like this crazy nonstop just inundation of walkers and it's like 40 hours of them having to fight. And it's, it's psychologically it's wearing on the people inside yeah. the town and they end up having a town meeting. Um, well, no, first, no, wait, I got, first yeah, Gamma in shows up right with, with the, with the herd of walkers. And she says um, that alpha wants to talk to her, talk to the leaders at the border as soon as possible. And she says that this is not us. We did not do yeah. this. We, this is, you know, these are just, these are just walkers. Mm-hmm. And then at the town meeting, Lydia kind of, kind of confirms that. She's like, well, yeah, if she were going to send the, the whole thing against you, it would be, you know, thousands and thousands of walkers you, all at once. It wouldn't be these waves that you could easily kind of dispatch. Yeah, and one of the uh, there's a an interesting confrontation there between one of the surviving highwaymen, this this lady who is you know, let's go and kill him and and you know, break all this down and you know we just stop it now. And Michonne looks at Daryl and goes, "How many walkers do you think she had?" And he's like, "Um, thousands." And Michonne looks at the lady and goes. And your plan to deal with them is? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, please, if you have, if anyone has a plan, please let me know. Because this is not a rhetorical question. I'm yeah. actually asking you for your plan. And the lady is kind of like, uh, I don't have a plan exactly. And Michelle's like, but shut up. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't actually say those words, but it's, I mean, right. it's very much a... A yes, it's it's great to talk brave and it's great to you know vengeance and all these things, but you have to deal with the reality of the situation you're in, but mm-hmm. not in a panicky way. And Michonne really points out the fact that you know the worst thing they can do is lose sight of the fact that they they need to operate together. Right. They need to be you know they need to because be because that was the whole point of last season is that that's what they lost they lost sight of that. Yeah. Caused all sorts of problems. Couple of three. Um, so, so then Carol, but Carol got a plan. Carol is ready for this meeting because she has a she's got a stub nosed gun with three bullets in it, and she is gonna take out some some trash. 
And so when they do go to the meeting, the whispers ask that everybody take out their weapons and put them down. And, uh, and of course, Carol does not. Right. Uh, and then Alpha shows up and she's like, you guys entered our, our lands. And Michonne tries to explain. She's like, look, there was a fire. If we hadn't put out the fire, we would, your lands would have been destroyed just as much as our lands would have been destroyed. And I read a couple of things where it was like, you know, Alpha was very reasonable or whatever in this moment. But I was a little confused by her quote unquote reasonableness because it was like, oh, I totally get that. I'm still going to punish you for doing it. Well, so uh, to me, it read a lot like a power play. Just mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, yeah, your, your reasons are completely understandable, but the rules are the rules, and these are the rules that, you know, we've laid out, and therefore, whatever your reasons are, I'm going to punish you for doing the thing that I told you not to do. And it's not, she's not being reasonable. She's trying to exert, exert authority yeah. From a, and she's trying to establish that she's the one with power, not not Michonne, not Carol, not anybody else. She is. She's the one who can basically say, "I'm changing the borders," because you can't stop me changing the borders. And and the she keeps doing it. She keeps doing the whole exerting the power. You know, demanding that they give her the the superior position uh because you know when when carol reacts the way that she does mm-hmm. uh quite understandably and alpha taunts her you know with the de- you know with with the idea that you know carol's son died with carol's name on his lips you know i mean it's a it's a cruel cruel thing to say and you know, Carol's reaction, she's goading her in a position where basically she's, you know, she's, she's goading her to try and do what Carol ends up doing. Right. Which is pull out the gun and, and try and shoot her. Um, but at the same but, time, then she's mocking them by going, no, I understand one mother to a mo- another. I forgive you. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, she's, she, it's, it's a power game. It's, she's not being reasonable. <laughs> and, you know, I was just thinking about this as you were talking. Um, how long have we been watching the show? Nine years, 14, 15 years? Something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, after, after 30 or 40 different villains whose whole deal was, I'm going to exert power over you. And having the members of Team Zombie just basically pwn that person Mm -hmm. after two seasons, I'm really kind of tired of it. Well, I was just, as you were sitting there talking about this power play and stuff, it just came to me as just like a realization. I am exhausted by this storyline. Well, that's because it's a certain, it's a certain amount of repetition. Yeah. You, they keep a certain in, amount. <laughs> it's, I know it's all the repetition. They just, you know, the, and this is why, and this is why part of the episode that I liked uh, a lot was the whole Negan and Aaron interaction mm-hmm. because it's a, and we'll get to it more in, in a bit, yeah. but it's very much the idea of what happens when you are that person 
who was exerting the power, and now you have none. Yeah. And the fact that that's kind of freeing for Negan Mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think he realized it would be. Right. Um, But yeah, so Carol, you know, Carol pulls her gun, she shoots, Alpha's like... Well, Michonne stops her. Saves saves Alpha's freaking life, which you know, whatever. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hypothesize about how things would be different if Carol had just shot Alpha right in the whole face. You mean the fact that basically it would then be Michonne, Daryl, and Carol against people who are not Michonne, Daryl, and Carol, and probably would have wiped the ground up with the remaining. Right. Yeah. No, we won't. We, there's no point in dwelling on that because it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> the only person in that, in the whisperers that has any kind of like battle ability is, is beta. And yeah, he's, he's basically a giant, um, like, Halloween style monster, but eventually they'd be able to put him down or encase him in concrete and bury him in the lake or something. <laughs> yeah, but then, then there'd be a storm and lightning would electrify the lake and he'd yeah. rise again. But and yeah. again and again and again sure. and again. And you See, know, a mortal killing machine monster is not what you need during the zombie apocalypse. No, but it would be kind of an. It would be a very interesting thing for The Walking Dead to do is to literally <laughs> have suddenly we're also fighting horror movie monsters because that I, I would sign on to that kind of madness. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, it it, it is a. To some degree, the argument against her killing Alpha at that point is a little bit, and you can understand to a point because, of course, if if they kill Alpha, then somebody might release this giant, you know, herd Herd of walker. Yeah, however, sort of, but I do think like. I don't know because we learned last week that there are people in. Um, in the whispers who don't want to be part of this kind of community, really. Well, not you know, only that, was... but we saw last time, which was like not long ago in terms of the amount of time in the in the course of the show, in between the two episodes. There's not a lot of time in between the two. Uh, mm-hmm. That there is no giant horde of walkers. Not anymore. Yeah, there. So. Daryl and Carol have seen the fact there is no giant penned in, you know, mass of killing death things. Um, there's just the stuff that's coming at them now. So, I mean, it's to some degree, it's a little bit hand of the writer. You can kind of see the logic to it, but it's also a, you know, it would be a calculated risk. True. So anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, Michonne's like, we're, we're sorry. We're going to go. And Alpha's like, yeah, you better run. And then they stumble through the woods and apparently don't know their way home because they find a house to stay in overnight. It's, I thought it was like a school or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, to me, to me, this whole, it's the same thing that, it, to some degree, it's the same thing that will happen to Negan and Aaron later, which is, how far out are you? 
Right. Where are things again? Because I'm not sure where you are that you need to find a place to, you know, hide out overnight instead of just walking home. Um, but anyway, so they, they end up there. And, and Carol's having all sorts of craziness, all sorts of problems. Yeah, because then she sees the book that has the kids, the face of her dead children, some of whom she's had, had to kill herself. Right. Um, so this is, you know, and you're looking at this and, and if you were, if you had not realized at this point that Carol was tripping bad, mm-hmm. um, and not from the, it's not the drug, the drugs are keeping her awake, right? It's sleep deprivation is doing her damage. And if you've, if you've never un- experienced real sleep, sleep deprivation, had true insomnia where it's just night after night, or, or never seen any of the studies that show what happened to the human mind if you don't let the brain sleep, mm-hmm. um, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and on some degree, it's really my, – my biggest issue here is not that Carol is doing this dumb thing. It's that she doesn't seem to care that this dumb thing is something she knows is dumb. She's too smart not to know that. Right. But, you know, you have to have some sort of storyline. True, true. So after she has this, um, well, and then, but that's, I think, addressed next. Because after she has that little hallucination, Daryl shows up and they're talking and he's like, hey, how much are you using? And she's like, what? And he's like, you know this is not good for you. And he's like, and my dad was a was a truck driver, and he got addicted to, to meth because it kept him awake, and that's how he died and all this stuff. And, uh, and so Carol's like, okay, I just have this one more pill. I'll only take this one more pill, and then I'll stop. And then, like, the very next thing that happens is Daryl comes walking up to her, <laughs> And she, he's like, hey, how are you doing? And and she's like, I promised you that I'd stop. You know, thank you for telling me about your dad. And he's like, what are you even talking about? Your and dad, the truck driver. And he goes, my dad wasn't a truck driver. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, no. <laughs> so she started, you know, she's realizing that she's, you know, she, a part of her knows that this was a bad plan. Oh, we left out the part that went on the way to this, this schoolhouse. They... She sees walkers in the or she sees whispers in the woods. Three of them, and she fires after them at them. And and Michonne and Daryl come up and said, "You know what happened?" And he goes, "There were whispers, or three of them." They're like, "Okay, Um, okay, crazy pants." Although by the course of throughout the course of the episode, it comes very clear that Michonne doesn't believe that she saw anything. Yeah. Um, Well, well, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would either if I knew what was going on with. You know, that I could see, obviously, that there was something really going wrong there. I, I might, you know. Well, and it, the question, one of the questions that I had was, this is something that they can tell is happening. Mm-hmm. Why did they bring Carol? I mean, sure, Carol's a badass, but she's a badass who's operating on have you, you know, medication that generally comes with a warning. Do not operate during the zombie apocalypse. Yes. Uh, and you know, so, I mean, it's the question of why they didn't just sit there and go, how about you stay here? Do you think she would have though? Well, she wouldn't have. 
Well, but that that would be that would be something that would be part of Carol's nature to follow them. But the fact that they brought her in the first place, recognizing that she's struggling right now with, if nothing else, struggling with the fact that she's not sleeping. And yeah, they're all tired, but she's not dealing well. And it's an, it's not something that that is you know it's clearly that they're aware of it. Uh-huh. So it's just I mean it's a little bit like you know. Again, we come back to every now and again, the writers get us to a place where it's like, we got there because you decided that you would bring the person who shouldn't be on this trip at all. Yeah. So, anyway. But ultimately, like, Carol ends up in a trap, and Walker's, a whisper comes in, and like, looks at her. And she, when she comes in, she brings a bunch of uh, zombies with her. And then Carol shoots at this whisper as she's leaving in this trap and then ends up getting out of the trap and then killing all of the walkers that were around. But also doing herself some damage. Yeah, she cuts herself. Uh, And pretty badly. Mm -hmm. Um, They are, however, close enough that they can make it back to Alexandria without Carol bleeding out or whatever. Being that hurt. Yeah. So at least we, we know that, you know, they probably could have made it home if they decided to. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, meanwhile. And, and Carol will never do drugs again. She's done with the drugs. We'll see. Um, meanwhile, back at Alexandria, they are dealing with the fact that there is this, you know, Horde. horde coming, yeah, and and so they break up into teams to go out and deal with it. Some and go to the north, some go to the south, um, and Negan is given to Aaron to go south and fight Walkers by Gabriel. And Aaron's like, "I don't want this guy to come with me." And Negan's and, like, "I don't want to go." Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm fine. I will stay right here. Have I mentioned the fact that people are feeling a little stabby right now? Right. I would not like to be the stabby, and as you may recall, I'm not the most popular person. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel's like, I don't care. Yeah, and I love the thing that he says, which is like, you need fighters, and you know how to fight. Peanut butter, meat chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and I... I don't. It's, I like this sequence between the two men. I like the sequence between between Negan and Aaron. Mm-hmm. I'm a little confused as how Negan and Aaron are on their own. Yeah, I didn't understand because I know they went with other people. They didn't just say like Aaron and Negan go to the south and fight all the walkers by yourself. And I feel like I saw other people in certain parts of the. But then suddenly they're only by themselves and then they get lost in the woods and all the other things. But it leads to this confrontation where Negan finds this crowbar and he's like, aha. And Aaron's like, no, put it down. And and Negan's like, I've got a mop. But I wants it. I wants it. (laughs) And Aaron's like, put it down. And Negan's like, fine. And, and Negan's like, I'll, I'll just go. And Aaron trips him and knocks him to the ground. And Negan looks at him and goes, are you 12? <laughs> <laughs> Did you trip me? And 
and they get into this this argument where you know Negan points out that you know while he's not the man that he was he did the things he did for a reason yeah and whether you agree with that reason or not we come it comes back to the to the log, the internal logic that you and I have talked about if we had followed Negan's story from the beginning yeah Negan would be the anti-hero of the show mm-hmm. and and Rick and, and everybody else would have been the the villains from Negan's perspective um, and Negan sits there and goes you know defending the things that are yours is is how you survive if mm-hmm. I didn't have that if I if I didn't if the people who were following me didn't believe I was willing to do anything to do that they wouldn't have followed me that's how countries get built. That's, you know, that's the American way. Right. And Aaron looks at him and goes, so you're basically telling me that the love of the, the, the fact that the man I love is dead is my fault. And Negan's kind of like, well, and Aaron's like, so your wife's death is your fault then. Right. And you're never going to see her again. And she died hating you. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you have something to say? And Negan's like, you know, I kind of do. Look behind you. <laughs> and Aaron turns around and then there's walkers. And and while he's fighting the walkers, he kind of realizes that nobody's helping him. And Negan's not around. And suddenly Aaron's blind because he's got this stuff in his eyes. Yeah. And, you know, Negan's nowhere to be found. So Aaron rinses out his eyes and he's stumbling around. He finally finds this, this house to hide in. Right. Which apparently has lights. Mm. And, and meanwhile, what Aaron can't see because he's blind is that Negan is right there. Yeah. Like I thought that, that I thought was really good. Like, you know, Aaron's stumbling around like blind and doesn't know what he's going to do and is scared. And Negan is right behind him, like sitting in a chair, yeah. watching all of this go down. And so when Aaron finds himself there and Negan says, you all right? No, <laughs> wait, no, that's not what happens. Okay. Aaron is blind for a long time. Right. And and the walkers come in and Negan makes it seem like he has discovered this place just recently and fights off the walkers with that crowbar. Right. And saves Aaron's life when, you know, he could have just been like, Hey Aaron, welcome to the house I found. And so so basically he manipulates the situation to get Aaron to trust him just a tiny little bit, which I kind of can understand. Oh, yeah. I mean, from, from Negan's point of view, um, he knows that if he doesn't get Aaron at least a little bit on his side, he's, you know, Aaron's, at some point Aaron's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. And this is exactly why Negan didn't want to go out. It's like Negan would like to stay back with his garden. Thank you. And he'd be more than happy to bury all the walkers you can eat. Um, mm. But, you know, being out with someone like... And Negan is too smart a man to not realize that Aaron is got some justification to why he wants Negan dead. Right. And But yet Negan is also someone who, 
unless the unless they're playing a really really nasty long trick on us here, we've seen Negan actually change. Right. And while he is certainly still not the most tactful of persons, and he's never going to be, which is part of the character, mm-hmm. um, he's also someone who is, you know, he never let Aaron get to the point where Aaron was going to die. Right. I mean, he, he's, he's protected him while actually doing the manipulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even so, the manipul- manipulation is relatively minor. In the grand scheme of things. I mean, it's not, it's still a bit of a dick move, but at the same time, you know, um, he took advantage of a situation where, you know, he could have let Aaron die. True. But uh, at the same time, you know, he does manage to sit there and very calmly tell him, you know, Aaron says, I can't see. And Negan said, yeah, you got this stuff in your eyes. It's this, you know, can cause, can cause damage. Aaron's like, is it permanent? And he goes, Sometimes you rinse it out and Aaron's like, yeah. And he's like, then you're, okay, well, we'll see. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, so by the time we get some rest, I'll protect you all through the night. Yeah. And he does. And when Aaron wakes up in the morning, he can see and everybody's happy and shiny. And they're like best friends. No, they're not. No. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron is, there's no way Aaron is going to become Negan's buddy. But there certainly is a certain amount of him looking at Negan and recognizing that Negan could have let him die. Yeah. So I think I have one more thing I think we need to talk about. And it's one of my favorite things that happened in this episode. Yeah. Um, and it's what ha- the, the one scene, this one interaction between Eugene and Rosalita. That well, that and the other scene we have to talk about, which is the scene with, uh, you know, when when they get Carol back and they get her in to try and get medical treatment. Oh, right. Well, eh, I guess we could. That doesn't really. I mean, that scene doesn't really didn't resonate with me as much as the the Eugene Rosalita scene did, though. No, but it, it's very much a continuation of the idea that, um, you know, there's. We're we're actually getting to the point where we're dealing with characters who have trauma. Yeah, and I mean, Sadiq Car- is messed up. Yeah, and then it was, certainly we've got that with Carol. I mean, that's been part of Car- Carol's character development from the beginning. But Sadiq is struggling with his own trauma from being the surviving member of the, the mm-hmm. initial slaughter with the Whispers, and the. I'm still not sure how I feel about the other doctor who's just a little too, I don't know. I think they want to kiss. I, I think he wants to kiss um, yeah. pretty badly. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he's, I like him. I liked him more here than I liked him yeah. the first time we saw him. Cause this, this seems more like he's someone who, who he was, he was just a little too smarmy the first time. This is a little well, more. I think maybe they, uh, the, maybe the writers realized that because if you'll remember, there was the whole, we can be gods, we're gods. And then yeah. the very next episode was him helping put out the fire. And then this, he's really, you know, helpful to Sadiq and like, you know, gives him the time and space he needs to, you know, to heal a little bit and gives him a, you know, kind of a pep talk. And I think that they were like, we want people to like this guy, even if he's going to end up being smarmy or a dick or something like that. We want them to end up liking him now. Yeah, there needs to be some sort of sympathy for the guy because he's, 
the first time we saw him, he just really was, I just, I did not care for the character here though. I mean, it's, it's a nice touch to see that there, there, this is a, this is a community in, and even in these kind of situations in this extremis, the fact that there are people around them who are just like, you know, take your time, man. You know, you're not alone. Well, now they have that, they have that opportunity. This is the first time in this show's history where we've had breathing space. The entire Rick Grimes run of the season was run, kill, live, run, kill, survive, live, die, run, kill. And like now that we're, we've passed that, we've gotten to a place where we can ruminate on our trauma. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, in terms of doing the things that we want out of this show and what we, what we kind of thought that fear the walking dead might've been able to pull off for a little bit was the idea of building a future and actually, you know, creating in the, the world that you have to yeah. live in when this is all happening and, and dealing with the trauma and being there for each other uh, is mm-hmm. part of that. So I liked, I liked that scene, but you're right. It's not as powerful and as I don't know, some ways, some ways, long overdue, right? Um, as you know, <laughs> Eugene finally getting it through his head and his heart, right? Well, I, I really, but I see that. I think that that's one of those things. Like, I finally was able to like feel something besides annoyance for Eugene. Because, you know, Rosalita comes in and Eugene comes in. They're so exhausted from fighting walkers and they're covered in grime. And, and, uh, and he says, where's the baby? And she says, I don't know, sleeping, I guess. And he goes, no, 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 like physically, where is the baby? Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, I, I sent her to the babysitter. She's fine. Like, I, you know, and he starts in on some, like, something about, like, what was it? It was like you know, are you sure that people, you know, other people should be watching her or something like that? Yeah. And, and he kind of, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a, it's a almost innocently possessive kind of thing mm-hmm. where it's not like super overbearing, but it's the kind of thing where Rosita just looks at him and it's like, um, you know, it's not your kid. Right. right, you're not her dad, and I am not with you. And oh, by the way, that's never going to happen. How many times? And she basically says, she says, literally, how many times are we going to have to have this conversation? So I'm guessing this happened, you know, has happened, you know, where she's probably been like, you know, Eugene, I'm, you know, I'm not into that, but not, you know, he's just not heard it the way, like. Or maybe she's not expressed it. You know, she's saved his, saved his feelings one too many times. Or, well, she points out know. that she's she feels, you know, she, she apologized. She goes, that was cruel. I feel a little drunk. And he's like, no, because you know what happens to the human brain on sleep deprivation? And she's like, no, I really don't. And he goes, no, this is important. Uh, your inhibitions drop. Your ability to, you know, not say the things that you feel yeah. uh, becomes more difficult. And, you know, and you mean that. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I guess I, I never let myself believe that you did. And and then this is the part that I thought was the most powerful scene, like the, 
most powerful moment of the scene is he goes, this has all been for nothing. And he, and Rosalita gets angry and she says, wait, what? You think our friendship has been for nothing? All these years, our friendship is for nothing. And he says, I think that I've only been your friend because I thought at some point you would turn to me. You would realize that I was worthy. Yeah. And then he like gets up and leaves. And it's like this amazing revelation. I just was like, oh my God, I can't believe that Eugene has realized this about himself, you know? That he's, you know, lived this this whole, for years, thinking, well, maybe I can do the, like, I'll find the one right thing that'll make her want me. But he's never even seen the woman. He never even really, it's never, you know, he never accepted what he had with her, the yeah. what he really had with her. And unfortunately, that's a very real thing. Oh, yeah. And that's why I liked it so much. It's just so prescient yeah it felt it felt very much like a very human and tragic mm-hmm. i mean we've we've all had people that we've cared about who haven't cared about us back and vice versa and we i mean it's and and sometimes it's been that relationship you sort of held on to or or the idea of that relationship that wasn't happening mm-hmm. you held on to it and and eventually you had to learn to let go and it makes you really sad when you think about how many years this has been going on and how much Eugene has to has to have known on some level. He's too smart, but the heart gets in the way. Mm. And, you know, so that ends up, it's, it was a really good moment. Yeah. A sad moment too. And I felt bad. I felt bad for him in a way. I felt bad for them both because, oh, yeah. because, the thing is, the thing about that sort of realization is that he's got to own that and Rosalita has to own it too because even though all of the quote-unquote feelings were on Eugene's part, you know, Rosalita now has to deal with the idea that this person that she cared about, not the way he wanted her to care about him, but that she cared about maybe didn't feel the way that he felt or didn't have yeah. the feelings she thought he had. And Well, and there's also that, that, that feeling that you may have been leading them on in ways mm, you don't think yeah. about. You know, you think things you said or did that you did not think were remotely, you know, encouraging in that way. And yet somebody else who, someone who is carrying that kind of torch can, can see it that way. And I mean, it, I will, I know that I look at these two characters and I, just seeing how Eugene has evolved since we first met him. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation where I'm like, I would like these two to be friends again. Right. And so, because I think that, that Eugene has become this interesting character who's still Eugene. But at the same time, he's matured. I mean, he's turned into somebody who's actually, you know, yeah. um, he's a good he's a good technical person to have around. He's been good for her as a friend, even though you know this is where they are now. So, yeah, it was it was a very it was a really good emotional moment that felt real. Right. 
And I like when that sort of stuff happens on the zombie show. Oh, yeah. Well, because it doesn't happen all the time. Because I was able to be like, oh, wow. You know, thank you, zombie show. (laughs) For giving me something real, a real dramatic emotional moment. Well, between that, really that, the scene between Aaron and Negan, where they actually, you know, because Aaron is dealing with so much pain right now and rage. He's so angry. And, I mean, Negan is a justifiable target for that anger. So their interactions felt really, really good for me. This interaction felt really good. Um, and I think really this is this is why I enjoyed the episode more than anything, than more than the issues of the episode got in the way for me, is because the really good moments were really good. I uh, can see that. And you know, the issue, you know, the kind of the the kind of way that we're sort of shaping Carol into whatever they're doing with her right now, um, aside, because they're you know that yeah there are issues there. Um, well, you want to you want to know what I think happened? I think after last season, they realized that the character of Daryl, the way that he had been traditionally written, could not take over the Rick role. Oh no, no, no! And so, I think that what I feel I have this really strong feeling. Uh, that what we're going to see is Carol take over a majority of that Rick role in this storyline enough to maybe not make her the main character of the show the way Rick was, but she's going to be the driving force behind the whisper war. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, she's got, you know, there's, there's enough pain and anger in, in her character, you know, for, you know, the death of Henry alone. Uh, mm-hmm. Plus all the, all the kids before him. That... Just so many, just every kid, every kid Carol has ever looked at over <laughs> the course of the nine seasons of the show. As Carol walks down the street, the, uh, you know, the, the parents shield their children from her so they can't, she can't cast her eyes upon them and doom Literally them. Literally including Carl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. Well, you know, and, and at this point, you know, Judith is, Judith is fairly stabby herself at this point, mm-hmm. so she's got a chance. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's um, I don't know, I, I'm... I'm I'm waiting. I, like I said, I think I think we're going to have the bit where Negan goes on his little killing spree mm. in the Whispers camp, and I'm waiting to see how that plays out. But no, I mean, like I said, I you know overall I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. It, it, it wasn't perfect um, by any means, but but what show is? I have no idea because God knows we don't ever get to watch those shows. Oh. <laughs> uh. All right, folks. Well, if you have enjoyed listening to us ramble on about The Walking Dead and would like to tell us what you think, uh, do you think that they're misusing Carol right now? Do you feel like Eugene needs a hug? Um, (laughs) Do you think Sadiq needs a nice long lie down and maybe some cuddling from from the hunky doctor? Whatever you think, let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you guys. You can find us on iTunes. Um, Well, no. Um... 
Apple Podcasts and podcast. Yeah, I know. Podcasts.com. You can leave us a comment and a rating on those. And we would love to have you do that. But that, of course, like all this stuff, the more you do that, the more it helps people find the show, which is great. The more you drink, the better we look. Exactly. Because we have faces for radio. Uh, I'm very attractive. Dustin is very pretty. Um, So, um, thank you, sir. Thank you, Tim. And again, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with more Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced by Dustin Adair and Timothy Harvey for Just Some Guy Productions.